Hello, everyone, and welcome to Autism Stories. I'm your host, Doug Bletcher, the founder of Autism Personal Coach. Autistic people are the true experts of the autistic experience, and Autism Stories is where we interview autistic people and others from the autism community to learn from their stories, experiences, and get their advice. If you'd like to be notified about each week's episode of Autism Stories, we suggest you subscribe on your favorite podcast listening platform. We'd also appreciate it if you could give us a positive rating and review as it will help others to learn about autism stories. Before we get to today's guest, I wanted to give a shout out to Andrew Camaro and Planning Across the Spectrum for reaching out to me to sponsor Autism Stories. You can learn more about Planning Across the Spectrum by visiting planningacrossthespectrum.com. If you're listening and you'd like to learn about the different sponsorships for Autism Stories, go ahead and send me an email. You can find my email in the podcast description of this episode. Something that is a big focus of Autism Personal Coach is supporting people in developing new relationships or improving the relationships they already have in their community. Historically, religious institutions have been a place to find that community, but for many autistic people, their church, temple, or mosque hasn't been inclusive and not supportive of their voice and their needs. On this episode of Autism Stories, Dr. Lamar Hardwick returns to discuss how churches can be more inclusive to disabled people with his new book, Disability and the Church. We hope you enjoy today's conversation. Dr. Hardwick, thanks so much for returning to Autism Stories. Well, thank you for having me. I, I was excited, excited to have you return because you have a new book coming out on uh, February 9th called Disability and the Church. And just wanted to start off um, and learn why did you decide to write this book at this point in time? Great question. I actually started working on the book probably somewhere around 2018, really just putting down my thoughts. Um, some of the materials from uh, blogs and things that I have written over the years, um, but I thought it was a good time to um, pursue putting the publishing the book uh, this time because of sort of where we are uh, in society with you know a real push for diversity and inclusion most of it has been uh, centered on ethnic and racial uh inclusion uh, which is needed but um when we talk about including more minority voices into you know where this business space is and in my case particularly the faith community we have to also reconcile the fact that the largest minority group in the world are persons with disabilities. And so to have a discussion about diversity and inclusion um, should start with that group. And because I'm a pastor, I thought it was a great time to enter into this conversation by expanding our definition of diversity and including the, the largest known minority group in the world, which is persons with disabilities. Absolutely. And, um, you share in the book stories about Jesus and 
in his connection to disabled people. What, what do you see from the Bible in regards to Jesus and his thoughts of the disabled community? Yeah, great question. So, um, you know, in my study, and I've been, you know, obviously I've been a pastor for a long time, but studying disability in um, the biblical text for the last, you know, five or six years since my diagnosis, um, you notice that Jesus has an affinity. Um, I talk about in the book that God is obsessed with things that are missing, things that are lost. And um, so, you know, there's lots of stories about lost coins, lost sheep. And I think the, the message there is that uh, God is always seeking those who are absent from the community uh, that he's trying to form. And so if you look at the largest percentage of persons that are often missing from access to local churches and you know access to regular attendance and participation, that group tends to be persons who are in the disability community. And so... Um, by virtue of sort of this mission of trying to go after who's missing, you see Jesus do that a lot in the Gospels where he's constantly going out into the communities where the marginalized have been pushed aside. And oftentimes you see that in those communities are persons with disabilities. And where for you does your love of the church kind of originate from? So I was raised, you know, for... Those who grew up in the church, I was raised a PK, which is an acronym for preacher's kid. Um, so my father was a pastor. And I talk about in the book, there are two things that really influenced me. One, my father was a military man, so he spent over 20 years, uh, close to 25 years serving our country. But he was also a minister. Um, and so uh, those two things really shaped my understanding of giving yourself over to something larger than yourself and being committed to, you know, the rights and equality and service of all of humanity. And I found that also uh, in the church as a young age, uh, following my dad around, being a part of the things that he did. And so, you know, it wasn't always easy because I was a very awkward um, child, not very good socially, and church is very social, but yet I, I found a lot of comfort in the times when church was done right. It was really encouraging and helped me to, to overcome some of my challenges. So I, I love the church, even though I'm in the book, I'm a little bit critical of the church. I'm critical because I love the church and I am a believer in what the church is capable of doing for persons like myself when we get it right. Constructive criticism. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Something I learned about you in this book is that you hate to lose. Uh, losing definitely can certainly suck. <laughs> How does the idea of hating to lose make you a better pastor? Oh, uh, yeah. So I opened up a chapter, um, the chapter about hating to lose and talking about how, you know, in a strange way, God doesn't like to lose either. And really just a fun play on words that that's why you see that God seems to be obsessed with the missing, who's missing. Um, and so for me, that passion not to lose when it's turned to a positive is I don't want to lose anyone. I, I feel like, and I've grown to know the church to be a place that uh, is born to be inclusive. And for me, that means, you know, I'm part of the disability community and I see so many of my colleagues and families that I talk with on social media and when I travel doing conferences and so many of them are 
missing from the churches in their community. Uh, and for me, that's a huge loss for the church. And so because I hate to lose, that sort of drives this passion of I don't like to see the disability community missing um, from the church because it's a loss for them and it's a loss for the church. There seems to be more and more um, as we you know start in 2021, more diversity and inclusion in initiatives. But I think a lot of times disability is not discussed within these in initiatives. So you discussed in your book that the church must be on the front lines of the discussion of disability and diversity. Why do you think that's the case? For me, and again, as, I, as I've studied over the years, um, one of the main things we see that I think we often miss in religion is that Jesus came to unite humanity. There were walls, there's even a passage in the New Testament that says that um, a large part of his sacrifice was to tear down the wall of hostility that was formed between people groups, be that color, culture, language, race, uh, and even physical condition. And so, uh, you know, when you look at it, that for me personally, I find it to be a disservice to what I've studied to be the reasons why um, Jesus sacrificed his life. Um, it's not just for this personal relationship with God, which is great, but it was uh, a uniting force. Um, and so I feel as though um, the church is on the forefront or should be on the forefront because that's the mission uh, that we were tasked to share with the world and to be sort of the gatekeepers to the kind of kindness and generosity and inclusion that is needed to tear down walls between people groups. And because the disability community uh, has been missing from the church, I feel that um, you know the church should be leading the charge in that type of diversity as well because there's been a unintentional most times, but sometimes an intentional wall that's been put up between people. And that's just not what I have um, discovered the life of Jesus was all about. It was about bringing people together and tearing down walls that divide. Now, there's certainly people out there, particularly disabled people, that may not have the best relationship with the church. What would you say to those people about why um, they should find a church that works for them? Yeah, and that, it, it's a great question, and it's unfortunate, and I've found that I have been extremely fortunate in my opportunities that I've been uh, given, which is why I'd say, you know, the challenge of sort of putting my life out there and challenging churches to be more inclusive. Who knows uh, the type of people that could don the doors of your church and make it better if they're just given an opportunity like I've been given an opportunity. And so, you know, with quirks and all and all the things that I don't do well, there are things that I do very well that are important to the church. And so my advice is, one, I sympathize and empathize with them. I, over the last five or six years, I get it. And it's for very real barriers and very real issues um, that the disability community has faced. And it's and I will say on behalf of the church, it's not okay. And I, <laughs> if I could apologize on behalf of the church, I would apologize. Um, and that's part of my advocacy. My second piece of advice would be uh, oftentimes um, it takes for us to show up and sort of disrupt the normal way that church has been done that has created barriers. And so I, 
I know it can be extremely frustrating sometimes uh, for individuals like myself on the spectrum or even parents or people with other disabilities to try to be a part of the church. But but honestly, I'm, I'm where I'm at because I was very persistent that I belong here. Um, and sometimes it takes, as the old saying, the squeaky wheel gets the oil. And so sometimes because of the challenges, we stay away. And I understand that. But a real change can happen when we persist and insist that we have something to offer to the church and the church is not complete uh, without the voices of the disability community. Uh, and it's not just about making accommodations for us, um, having the voices of the disability community and the church makes the entire faith community better. And so we have to know our value and say that we belong. And when we're included, it will make the church better as a whole. Now, you, you talk in, in your book that in order to begin to have more inclusive churches, it needs to start out at, at the banquet. Why do you recommend starting at the table um, as an important place moving forward? Yeah, so that chapter um, is actually a story uh, in the Gospel of Luke. Uh, so it's kind of a two-part thing. Jesus is invited to a dinner and at the dinner, they invite a man. The text calls it dropsy. We know that as a modern-day version of uh, congestive heart failure, so his limbs would have swollen. And so it was a, it was a disability of sorts. Um, and they didn't really invite the man to include him. They invited him because they wanted to see what Jesus was going to do. Well, after Jesus has a discussion, he dismisses the man, and then he tells a story of a banquet at this banquet about who invites. Uh, and he tells them, you know, don't sit in the seats of honor, you know, reserve there for someone else who's more honorable than you. And then he says, when you go out to set the table for all the people that you want to invite, start with the blind, the lame, the cripple, the poor, the people on the margins, and you build it that way. And so it's sort of a, a metaphor within a metaphor um, to say, when you're trying to be more inclusive of people that you want to invite into space with me, don't start with the people whose society already lifts up start with the people who are on the margins. Um, but still, even the story, I think, is a beautiful metaphor. Um, you know, in, in early church history, the table was the place where fellowship was was made, where family was made. And so you have Jesus at this banquet telling a story about a banquet, but also giving us a larger picture that, you know, family is, is started in community is centered around the table. And I think that's a great place to start is to start by becoming friends and sharing space, your sacred space of your home and your church with, with people who are disabled. And oftentimes that could be done at, at the table, quite honestly, and uh, breaking bread and learning how to become friends and family. And that's such a, still such a irrelevant story, maybe more than ever um, in 2021. Um, and I don't know about you, but but for me, I always feel better with with some food. Yeah, it just has a way of bringing people together. And and interestingly enough, for them, it was even more about food symbolically. You know, if you study ancient uh, first century history, church history, you know, food was a way of of bringing a part of your culture and your personality to your guests. And so it was sort of this blending and creating diversity in the truest sense, because oftentimes 
people's culture is represented by what they ate. So for me to have you at my table and you to have me at your table is a symbol that we honor each other's culture. We want to share and become diverse and learn from one another. Now, churches can uh, certainly have limited resources, and I would think that'd be a factor in developing or not developing more inclusive churches. Do you have recommendations on a on what a church can do with a limited budget to make sure, um, you know, it is welcoming to everyone. Yeah. So I, I give a, towards the end of the book is a lot of practical things to do. Uh, and so I give a few tips such as, you know, uh, write it, start writing it in your budget, even if it's 1% of your annual budget or 2%, however, wherever you can start, you could open up designated funds, uh, for your church so that people who have a heart and a passion for that can donate directly to that instead of a general fund. Uh, some things I've done in the past uh, at a church I served in the past was uh, we would designate special offerings if we had a special church service like a Christmas Eve service or you know a Wednesday night service, something that's not your normal service on Sunday. If you collect an offering, you can designate that towards special needs or disability ministry inclusion um do lunch and learns and or uh, you know things where you can teach and educate and then just ask for you know a donation at the door and put that money aside uh, and then the last thing uh that i found also to be helpful and that people don't think about is as people are doing uh their wills and estate planning sometimes people want to leave money to their church um uh, and so you can ask people if they would consider uh, donating in their estate planning some money towards disability inclusion in the church. So those are all ways that that can be done amongst so many others. Well, I mean, I think that's so that's such a, a great idea because what, what is it about one in four uh, people now um, in our country are, are disabled in some in some um, way or another, and so everyone knows you know, some disabled person a lot of times in our families. Whatever type of organization it is, I know developing a culture of expectations is critical. How do you think churches can go about in developing a culture that involves the acceptance of disabled people as a, an important part of their congregation? Yeah, that's great. another great question. Um, I, I have found... Um, using stories is better than using statistics. Uh, and so a lot of times when you want a new program or a new initiative in the church, and, and the reality is I'm a pastor, I understand a very limited bandwidth to try to accomplish a lot of things that are the mission of the church. Uh, so you use data, you use numbers to measure. Uh, but I found using real-life stories, and so a great example is when I did disclosed my diagnosis uh, in 2015. I did it through a message series, but I didn't just tell my story. I had other people in the congregation who were brave enough and willing to share their stories that we put on video and were able to archive and share those with people. And what ended up happening is you started to have stories surfacing from the congregation of people who also were living with disabilities or a family member or a child we come to find out that's why we would only see them every six weeks. Um, but as they became braver about sharing their stories, it created an environment where the stigma and the shame um, sort of just began to erode. And it made it 
put names and faces to, oh, I sit next to that person. I sit on that row. I didn't know their child uh, was autistic. I didn't know uh, that this person had a mental health challenge. I didn't know that that person, you know, was dealing with it. And so it, it made it easier to talk about. And it suddenly, I shouldn't say suddenly, it subtly became uh, a part of the culture of our church that people could be more open uh, about talking about disabilities. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I, I read, you know, your book, Disability in the Church. It's a fantastic book. I definitely would recommend it for all of our listeners. For those that want to go about purchasing Disability in the Church, uh, I guess starting February 9th, um, how can they go about doing so? Yeah, good question. So it's already on pre-order, um, so you can actually go to Amazon. I know that's where many people get their books uh, and pre-order, and I've also been told that a lot of people that have pre-ordered have already received their book, even though it doesn't officially release till February 9th, but it's also um, anywhere books are sold, and so uh, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Target, Walmart, uh, Christian bookstores, um, it's also widely available at your local bookstore, um, so you can go in, and if they don't have it, you can request it. Um, and then you can also order directly from my publisher, which is InterVarsity Press. Uh, and you can also order from them online, but it is available wherever books are sold. Well, Lamar, I really appreciate your time today. Thanks so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Thanks to everyone for listening, and thanks so much to Dr. Hardwick again for another fantastic conversation. To learn more about Dr. Hardwick's new book and purchase a copy, check out the link in the podcast description of this episode. You can also find a link to book a free call to learn how Autism Personal Coach can help you reduce your daily overwhelm and get the things you need and want in your life. So book a call with me today. If you'd like to be notified about each week's episode of Autism Stories, we suggest you subscribe on your favorite podcast listening platform. We would also appreciate it if you could give us a positive rating and review, as it will help others to learn about Autism Stories. On next week's episode of Autism Stories, we will, t- we will discuss a topic that I love, which is uh, autistic joy. Talk to you then.